Hello and welcome to Beta Cells to Bicycles, the official podcast of the BC Diabetes Research Network. I'm Krista Lamb and today I'm talking to Dr. Rob Bushell. Dr. Bushell is the director of the School of Kinesiology at the University of British Columbia. His work looks at whether type 2 diabetes and metabolic syndrome can be reversed through exercise. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So let's start uh, by talking a little bit about what inspired you to work in the field of exercise. I've been working in this field from the time I started uh, my research career, even from uh, the level of master's education right through my PhD and onwards. So it's been a passion of mine. I knew that I wanted to study exercise from uh, very early on. So I've been involved in uh, studying diverse aspects of exercise, how we respond to training, different doses of training and what the effects are and looking at a, a systems-wide approach to how humans respond to, to exercise. I've done a number of expeditions also um, in unique environments, uh, high altitude and, and also um, in the Arctic, uh, looking at exercise in general. That is so interesting to me because I know that in the diabetes field, one of the most interesting studies was when uh, Dr. Bruce Perkins and Dr. Michael Riddell went um, up Kilimanjaro to see the, um, I mean, they went for many other reasons, but to see the effects of insulin at high altitudes. So I'd be really curious to find out what your studies were that you were doing um, at altitude. You're looking at the uh, effect of reduced atmospheric oxygen pressure on uh, endurance performance, but also on how the heart functions and on metabolism in general and uh, muscle function. So we see profound effects of, of, of hypoxia or high altitude on the heart. So the heart, its pumping capacity is markedly reduced by about 25% if you go up to peak, uh, alt- peak mountains in the Alps, for example. We've done studies in the Andes as well. Um, the, there's also a profound effect on the nervous system. So the autonomic nervous system that controls the rate at which the heart beats is markedly altered as well. And uh, then there are uh, significant changes in the uh, acid-base balance of the body. Um, in basically every organ system, there are changes, um, including uh, how the muscle tissue um, produces energy for muscular work when you're exercising. So that's been really interesting. We've also done studies in the Arctic looking at um, how uh, people respond to training in an expedition type of uh, uh, kind of study and also studying the, uh, the Inuit who live in, uh, in the north and how they survive and what role uh, exercise plays in their, in their health. And so in looking at exercise and health, one of the things that's really interesting about your work is that you do work looking at type 2 diabetes and exercise and ways that you can potentially put type 2 diabetes into a form of remission. Would that be accurate? Yes. It's not my primary area of research, but uh, I'm an exercise physiologist. I study um, the integration of all the systems as they respond to exercise. But I have done a considerable amount of work in, uh, in type 2 diabetes. And some exciting work recently where we have placed kinesiology students in primary care clinics to address metabolic syndrome, which is uh, linked to type 2 diabetes. And we see profound effects of simply implementing exercise as part of 
prescription and primary care. For example, in one year, we've seen a 32% remission of metabolic syndrome. Colleagues in Copenhagen have uh, also just recently reported in, in JAMA, Journal of the American Medical Association, uh, a 50% remission of type 2 diabetes over type 2 diabetes within one year. And it, it is following a dose response pattern. So the more you do, the more you see an effect. And two years out, there's a, a maintained 30% uh, remission rate. So it's really exciting to see the powerful effect that exercise can have. And um, I think interestingly, when you uh, examine or compare uh, against conventional medical management of type 2 diabetes, um, exercise um, and also caloric restriction, modest caloric restriction and dietary education has a much more profound effect than conventional medical therapy. So it's exciting to see how lifestyle can uh, really improve health. And of course, uh, we're beginning to understand the mechanisms, uh, even at the molecular level, for how that occurs. So that's exciting. Uh, here at UBC, we're part of uh, a new division within the Faculty of Medicine in the Department of Family Practice. Uh, it's called the Division of Sport and Exercise Medicine. Used to be sports medicine alone, but I think with uh, a futuristic vision conceptualizing exercise medicine as part of primary care um, is really forward thinking because of the profound impact it can have on health. And I find it really interesting because I know that we can't oversimplify when it comes to diabetes at all, especially type 2 diabetes in the sense that if you have access to the ability to exercise, that can be really, really transformative, but not everybody has access. So are there any policies that you'd like to see in place or anything you'd like to see change? Because I know it's it's so important to exercise, but it's not easy for everybody to have access to that. Well, I'd like to see a lot of policy change. Um, we're discussing here at UBC an approach to mount a new team-based uh, healthcare model that we think can be transformative, where Exercise or kinesiology or exercise physiologists are part of that team-based approach where from a policy perspective uh, it's a funded stream as part of healthcare and health promotion, diverting a little bit away from the disease model of healthcare to one of health promotion. And uh, so I think policy in terms of the healthcare system um, uh, would be really ideal to include a team-based approach where dietetics or nutrition and exercise are part of the approach to treating patients and individualizing patient care. Um, another policy approach I think is, is very valuable in general is that if one thinks of uh, the physical exam in primary care, it's now a policy statement or a position statement from the American Heart Association that every physical exam should include an exercise test. And why is that? We have enough data now to demonstrate that the results of an exercise test in the primary care setting or linked to it as an ancillary but necessary part of the physical exam is a more powerful predictor of mortality and morbidity than hypertension, hyperglycemia, overweight, and hyperlipidemia combined. So why is that? It's because exercise has such um, um, exercise 
involves multiple organ systems, so it's a really strong indicator of multi-organ system health, um, including metabolism, which one could consider where that is the sort of resident place of focus for type 2 diabetes management. So some of these uh, shift in, shifts in practice, I think, would be important to put into policy um, as a direct line of treatment. There are, of course, wide-sweeping policy uh, dimensions for access, also for urban design uh, environments and so forth. Yeah, I know in British Columbia, it's really interesting because walkable communities are much more common in parts of the province. And we know from the work of Dr. Jillian Booth and others that walkable communities are where people are at lower risk for developing type 2 diabetes. And BC has been wonderful about you know, promoting that. And so I think it's something that it would be fantastic to see in other places across the country. Uh, absolutely. I think, um, well, I come, I've spent a lot of time in, in Denmark. And they have very high aspirations for active commuting. So one sees that um, goals towards reaching a 50% commuter population on bike per day to the workplace, um, it has a profound effect on, on health promotion. Similar initiatives here, I think, for urban design and commuter transportation is important. We have. Um, uh, significant initiative here at UBC that's called UBC Wellbeing, and one of the pillar areas there is physical activity for health, another is nutrition for health, and another one is uh, mental health, but these are all tied together. So lots of initiatives here at UBC, physical activity, um, health promotion, disease prevention is at the core. Um, it's also interesting to think how uh, disciplines that one would not necessarily think central to type 2 diabetes are gaining uh, interest in, in this area. For example, the uh, Faculty of Forestry is really interested in health, and especially in BC with forests. So they're interested mm -hmm. in how forests as a place for walking uh, on a regular basis are health-promoting. And I think these kind of messages are important to the public. Um, to really uh, build a sustainable model where physical activity and healthy eating and food access uh, and food health is, are central to, to how we consider population health. And that's a really interesting point because I don't think I ever would have connected the forestry department with overall health and population health, but that's a wonderful example of how you can kind of think outside the box in terms of having these large societal changes to how we're doing things in terms of taking care of our population. And so it, it just it brings to mind the fact that, you know, are there other places that we could be connecting, like I know with the BC Diabetes Research Network, that they're trying to get clinicians and patients and all sorts of people involved in talking about diabetes and talking about ways that we can work together. And so have you found that helpful? The diabetes, the BCDRN, the Diabetes Research Network, has been thrilling to be a part of because it is so cross-disciplinary and it has a, a sort of fundamental principle of openness and collaborative spirit. And in a very short time, it has really come to life with participation, with uh, interaction across disciplines. So it really 
is uh, a reality that we are studying from beta cell to bicycle. And I think this type of um, multi-layered approach and cross-disciplinary approach is really exciting because I think those are where the, the real-life solutions occur. It, it is um, the continuum of expertise that will really have an impact. And looking at your um, research and the work that you're doing, where do you see in the next few years? Because diabetes research changes so much um, all the time. There's so many exciting things happening. And exercise has really been a fundamental part of that over the last few years. And so what are you most excited about over the next little while? I'm interested in continuing the work in, in the clinical setting, um, but bringing basic, basic science mechanisms to what we unfold and, and deliver to patients. I'm interested in, in the dose response to exercise. Um, we're now um, uh, moving forward with uh, uh, new technologies, integrating with uh, my and colleagues' traditional physiological approach of integrative physiology response to exercise, but combining with some of the new technologies uh, for example, the, the omics technology. So looking at markers, um, protein markers, metabolic markers, um, even epigenetic signals, how exercise and diet interact. So we're working closely with uh, the Faculty of Land and Food Systems on the food science side of things and getting um, a better knowledge base on um, individuality and uh, of dosing so that we can creatively uh, provide the best prescriptive knowledge to, to patients and individuals. So one type of exercise doesn't fit everyone and people respond differently to different interventions. So that's the area I'm interested in. I find really exciting going forward. And it's sort of interesting because um, you have other people here at UBC who are looking at personalized nutrition. So looking at how one diet doesn't necessarily work for one person in the same way that one type of exercise may not work for one person. And so do you, having those sort of colleagues to kind of bounce ideas off, do they ever um, intersect? Absolutely. I think there, there's a convergence of thinking um, about the, the, this uh, way to to really help people that um, brings multi-disciplines into, into the, the applications that we, that we bring, because that's, that's better quality. For example, uh, even within architectural design, computer science, and cross-disciplines, nursing, and um, behavioral psychology, the notion of human-centered design as we bring physiology and molecular biology to our understanding those are key because we're asking a different question. It's not top-down from, here's my question, you're my subject. It is, I need to know what you want, what are your goals, and then we can bring the best cross-disciplinary knowledge to the individual to help them in the real world. So uh, this opens for a new way of thinking where um, a multitude of people and expertise can converge and then it, it brings the best ideas to the forefront. Yeah, and I love the idea that, you know, of making sure that the person is 
invested, that this is what they're interested in, this is what the patient is motivated to continue to do. Because if you prescribe something to someone and they have no interest in pursuing that, or it's not something they feel comfortable with, the chances that they're going to do it successfully are far lower, I would assume. Absolutely. I, I think that's really a key point. So what is sustainable? Um, how does it fit with lifestyles and goals and what um, environments people are in? What is uh, reasonable? And then um, getting people to map out a sustainable response uh, pathway. I think one of the in intriguing things about exercise and one could even think of, of um, diet being part of that, although I'm not a, an expert in, in nutrition, but I think what's fascinating about exercise is that um, we have pretty good sense that humans evolved over human evolution to, um, that our genes were shaped by being physically active. So uh, when we're not active, then things don't, our genes aren't expressed in a healthy way. So we know it's part of our human nature to actually be physically active. And uh, what's interesting is, is that if one adapts to or adopts exercise as part of a lifestyle, in not so long a period of time, it could be one month, two months, three months, the body actually exerts signals in the body and, and all this inter-organ crosstalk. There's a lot of molecules talking to all the organ systems, including the brain, that you, your body actually helps in the motivational process to say, I need to exercise because you've adapted to this new level of physical activity. So it becomes much more facilitated in your lifestyle. And so the body has this internal memory, you might uh, say, that exercise is good and it actually becomes easier over time. And I guess that's a little bit like the runner's high and the things you hear about where people are doing <clears throat> this exercise at a certain level and they really enjoy it and so they want to keep doing it. Right, and we now explain some of those um, anecdotal um, comments from people um, through measurement of, uh, of biomolecules. So we know some of the pathways, for example, of how when you exercise, the muscle releases hundreds of proteins and signaling molecules that tell the brain certain things. So this is now forming a basis for, uh, for why exercise is good for type 2 diabetes because we know pathways. So, for example, we, we know about signaling in the muscle for glucose uptake and the mechanisms for that. We know that the muscle talks to the liver, the gut talks to the, the liver and the pancreas, and, and these are induced by exercise. We also know signals from the muscle um, to the brain to help with mood. And uh, this is what it's, uh, is exciting about the field now is we're looking at inter-organ communication and um, mechanisms whereby the body essentially remodels itself with physical activity and, and of course food is so powerful as well. Yeah, so many fantastic things happening in this area. It's, a, it's such an exciting field and I want to thank you so much for joining us on the show today. It has been wonderful speaking with you. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. So you have been listening to Beta Cells to Bicycles, a podcast from the BC Diabetes Research Network. If you'd like more information on the network, visit diabetesbc.ca. And if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe so you can learn even more about all of the diabetes research being done here in British Columbia. 
Thanks for listening.